0: Last week, uh, if you were here for the first week of Advent, we talked about hope. Um, specifically, we talked about the message of hope that is the Jesus story and how it's wrapped up in, in, in the promise of a coming age of eternal life with no death and no decay. Let's hear it for eternity with no death or decay. Yes? Yes? Pro? 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 That is, that is a good thing. And, and more than that, when we were uh, talking about hope last week, we, we examined, examined one of those ancient prophecies. The one we looked at happened to be from Isaiah chapter 11. But there are many like it. Uh, a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Uh, Isaiah wrote his prophecies about 600 years before Jesus lived. And yet he made these predictions that came true with shocking accuracy. And we talked about, you know, we, we, we read what was in uh, the, the Scripture of Isaiah, um, and he predicted that out of uh, Israel, which at the time had been or was being politically decimated by a far greater superpower in the region, said, well, out of Israel will come a spiritual leader that will become globally famous, and even non-Jews will rally around him in a coming time which was an incredibly unlikely prophecy to make 600 years before Jesus. It would have been a crazy prophecy to make during the life of Jesus. But Israel was just this... This tiny nation, this very disempowered, small, insignificant nation in Palestine, a corner of the world that in the course of history would become increasingly less militarily and politically powerful. And Isaiah was predicting that out of this little backwater country would come a guy who would be a spiritual leader for the entire globe. What were the odds that that would come true? Infinitesimally small, but did it come true? Well, who's the most famous spiritual leader of all time? Well, this is a gimme, guys. We're in, we're, in we're in a Christian church, <laughs> so I'm just going to ask that again. Who's the most famous spiritual leader of all time? Jesus. Christmas is coming. You guys are going to want to get on that. <laughs> I want to get on it. All right. Well-educated crowd here. So that was amazingly true. Um, he said uh, an, another great prophecy that, that, he, that he made was that uh, all Israel was being destroyed at the time. Israel and Judah were being taken into captivity uh, at the time that Isaiah was, was operating. He was prophesying. He said that um, after the coming of this great spiritual leader, after this great, uh, great spiritual leader was born and lived, there would come a day when the nation of Israel, when the Jews, would be reconstituted, would regather in the land of Palestine, in the, in the land of Israel, and become a nation again. It said that God would gather them from the four corners of the world, that all these exiled Jews would return after this Messiah came, and Israel would be reborn as a nation, which happened. And In, in some of your lifetimes, it happened uh, just in in the 20th century, midway through the 20th century. What were the odds that that would come true? Can you think of another nation that was wiped out in the early years AD and then reconstituted in in global life later in history? What were the odds that that prophecy would come true? Infinitesimally small, but it came true. So snaps for God's prophets. You read the Bible, it's just like, Stunning. I don't know how anybody can be cynical about this book. Like if you actually read it and see what's there, it's just mind-blowing, the content that you find in it, and people brush it off, and it's like, oh my gosh. But I'm digressing. A third major prophecy in the passage of Isaiah that we read last week had to do with the coming age said, so, well, there's going to come an age, and it's going to be eternal. There's, going to, there's coming a time, people, when God will see to it that there will be no more death and no more decay, and, and the lion will lie down with the lamb, and children will play with poisonous vipers, and nobody will hurt anyone. There will be no conflict. Now, that sounds like a pie-in-the-sky sort of prophecy. And you would say to yourself, "That is ridiculous. What has that guy been smoking?" I'm not really sure they smoked that stuff back then, but what you know, it's like he's he's been, you know, he's been in his cups. Um, you would dismiss it, except that everything else the dude said came true. Every unlikely thing the guy said came true, and so you would be inclined to take it seriously this prediction of a coming eternal age with no death, decay, and nothing but peace. You would be inclined to take it seriously. And to take it seriously means you would be inclined to hope. You would be inclined to expect that something really good is coming. I mean, even if you don't know exactly how it's going to work out and how it's going to be, you'd be very hopeful. And that changes everything in life. It changes the way that you live life if you dare to hope. That the future is somehow secured in a good way. All we have to do is get there with hopefulness uh, and faith. Anyway, that, uh, you know, that was a good sermon, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, sure, it was good. It was good. Uh, and it was a very positive sermon. One might even say it was filled with, I don't know, good news. Good news. Good news that could really make a difference for you. You might say that it contained tidings of great joy. Yeah, just to coin a phrase. Uh, Anyway, that's what the angels would ultimately call it. The angels would ultimately call it good news and tidings of of great joy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a very famous message from some very famous angels uh, we have the Advent candles in, in front of us today. Um, typically, there are four weeks of Advent and Christmas, and Christmas, and each of the candles in centuries-old Christian liturgy represents a different thing. The problem is that there are so many different Advent traditions that what the candles represent depends on what church you're worshiping in. But one very common sort of liturgy that have to do with the Advent candles is that they, they represent sort of a progression in the Christmas story. So the first candle that we lit last week represented the prophets of old who had a message of hope. And that's why I preached on the prophets of old because I'm really liturgical. And, and then the second candle... Uh, Uh, Represented the angels, the angelic message about Christmas. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then the third angel represents the shepherds and their role in the story and everything that they mean for us. And then the fourth candle uh, would represent the magi who came from afar, the seekers who discovered. Maybe some of you are here today and you're seekers, you're still working it out but you care enough to actually make the journey, to make the effort. And the final candle will be the Christ candle, of course, the illumination uh, for all the world. So today we're going to talk about the angels, but I think we need a warm-up question because a lot of us stayed out late at the concert and we're a little bit tired. And, uh, you know, Blue Water Christmas concerts, um, you know, I think of, you know, heavy metal concerts and mosh pits and things like that. It's very similar. You're very tired. So warm-up. Here's a warm-up question. I've asked this before. Are you a happy person? Are you a happy person? Are you an unhappy person? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you? Nobody ever says, two. <laughs> yes! I'm improving. Uh, you just turn to the person next to you. Uh, give him your uh, give them your average happiness uh, index score. Scale of 1 to 10. Scale of 1 to 10. How are you doing? Are there some 8s. Some 5s. I hear some 5s. There's some people patting other people's shoulders right now. It'll be okay. It's good. No judgment. Whatever your score is, is your score. Let's be honest here today. I read some happiness surveys this week. Happiest country in the world? Happiest country in the world? According to the most recent stats, Denmark. Tallest people in the world? Same, same region of the world, coincidence? Uh, yeah, Denmark had the highest score in recent surveys and their average score was seven, yeah. Uh, And that's the highest uh, in the world. Uh, I don't know what our average score is. Here's a deeper question, though. Here's a better question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Purpose makes you happy? Gratefulness. The close link, right, between gratitude and, and joy. That makes sense. I like that. Love. What's that? A clean house makes you happy? says the young mom with three sons. A choice to be happy. To be happy. Yeah. I mean, it, Joy is a virtue that we need to cultivate like the other virtues, I think. We've certainly talked about that a lot at, at Blue wire I had a friend uh, back in my academic days who was a neuroscientist, um, sort of a, a cutting-edge neuroscientist. Um, I really loved this guy. I really hated what he did. Uh, he, like, would remove pieces of monkey's uh, skulls and put little electrodes in there and, and study their brain activity. I was not into that. Um, but what he studied was joy. Uh, he studied like, you know, pleasure centers and, and satisfaction responses and what you would call joy. And, and he and his colleagues in this area of neuroscience research had a working definition of joy. The best definition of joy, the thing that got joy response from primates, you know, monkeys and humans alike, uh, was something, something like this. Getting more than you might reasonably expect. That that was sort of the core definition of joy. Getting more or getting better than you might reasonably expect in a situation out of an experience. Uh, in other words, when things are unnecessarily good, that makes us joyful. That's what sort of triggers at least physical expressions of joy in, in, in people and, and primates. There's in, in, in strong joy reactions, there's some element of relief or surprise, something like that. Like, wow, that worked out really well you know surprisingly well that needn't have worked out so well there needs to be something like that one thing i love about the jesus story is how unexpected and surprising it is right if if there's any any story any of the grand stories in the human narrative that represents a moment of joy i think you know it's the jesus story it's the christmas story it's the resurrection story i mean there're a lot of these examples in the life of jesus where you say well that worked out unreasonably well you know, the healings that he does, the miracles, the feedings, you're like, this could have gone more reasonably than it did. And all around Jesus, all around the Jesus story, all the time, people are, are, I think, having these joy responses as a result. It's like, wow, that was unnecessarily good. And we have great Christian words for things like that. Gratitude is a great Christian word. Grace is a great Christian word, right? Grace, getting something good that you didn't deserve, getting something good that was not necessarily going to happen, uh, grace. Mercy is, is another one of those things in different ways. It's just, it's just good. Things are generous, and the Jesus story is like that. It's unexpectedly good, even though it was predicted by the old prophets like we studied last week. Things unfolded in such a way that nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw Jesus coming when he showed up. I mean, it took everybody by surprise. And the only guys who came remotely close to catching it were a bunch of foreign astrologers that we call the magi, the wise men. It's just amazingly surprising. It was an unwrapped gift you know, that we just sort of delight uh, uh, in unwrapping. And, and we're still unwrapping it today. I want to uh, read from Luke chapter 2, what is probably a very familiar passage uh, to you. Anyone, even if you're not a churchgoer, you've probably heard this rehearsal of this portion of the story of Jesus' birth. It'll be in your program up on the big board, or you can follow along, follow along in your own Bible. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In the first moment, they were freaked out because this supernatural being appears, this angel, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I'm not even sure what that was, but whatever it was, it was this shining atmospheric thing. It's like, wow! Like this Hollywood special effect. And they were freaked out, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Everybody. Everybody. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. It's Him. It's the guy. It's the promised one. You know who I'm talking about. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Heck of a sign. You will find a baby with makeshift clothing lying in an animal's food dish. A baby wrapped in a towel lying in a dog bowl suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel more of them praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests pretty familiar passage how many of you have heard that one before yeah pretty familiar uh very familiar uh to almost everyone And uh, usually I think when this passage is preached, uh, you're going to focus on what it was like for the shepherds to receive this message. This week I want to focus on the angels, uh, the the folks who actually gave the message. We'll talk about the shepherds next week. It was a fascinating experience for the shepherds. It freaked them out, and they had to figure out how to respond to it. But I think it was a really interesting experience for the angels as well. Uh, The first angel shows up, with great special effects. And, and he gets to like relay uh, the basic message. And, and, uh, and the first thing he says is, uh, you know, don't be afraid. Uh, people argue about which command appears most often in Scripture. Uh, it's one of two. Um, by my count, the most oft-quoted command in all of Scripture is don't be afraid. Or some version of it. Don't be afraid, don't freak out, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't stress. The most oft-repeated command in the entire Bible, it's like God is saying to the universe, relax. Don't fear, do not fear. And the second command, and it is very close, is rejoice. Praise, celebrate, be happy, be joyful. Don't be afraid, be happy instead. That's the basic Bible message, and you see the angels uh, give this message. They show up, and they say, hey, don't freak out. I got some news for you. Uh, It's good news, and it will cause great for everybody, everybody, which is, uh, again, kind of a tremendous prediction. Uh, Today in the town of David in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. It's the one uh, the Messiah, uh, the one that was prophesied about, and uh, this will be assigned to you. In other words, you should go investigate this. Uh, it's going to be a baby. It's going to be a baby in a food dish, which is an interesting start uh, to to the story. Uh, so the first angel kind of relays that, and then a whole group of angels show up. Uh, depending on your translation, uh, it says heavenly host or a company of angels. Uh, and, and they're praising God and they're saying, or some of your translations will be they're singing. They're at least reciting together lyrically. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. And often when this scene is depicted in paintings or illustrations, it looks like a big choir of angels. In fact, we sing that in one of the Christmas songs, don't we? Choirs of angels. But that's not what the story actually says. The story does not call uh, this group of angels a choir of angels. The company refers to them as a host of angels or a company of angels. The word that's used does not mean choir. The word that used means military unit. It's a military unit of angels. So this angel shows up and says, hey, good news, Uh, you know, the promised one has come. He's going to be in a food dish. Go check it out. And then this big group of angelic commandos shows up, this infantry union, I don't know, and and they start singing together, glory to God in the highest and peace on everyone. Uh, These soldiers show up and they start singing a message of joy and peace. Now that's kind of interesting because I don't know exactly what angel society is like but you wouldn't expect, you know, a company, a unit, a squadron of of soldier angels to show up and be like, yeah, peace and love, happiness to all. And they seem fairly stoked about it, don't they? And that jumps out uh, of the story. Um, They are evidently warrior angels, you know, hard workers, who apparently realize that what's going down in Bethlehem on that evening will change everything for them. What do soldiers want? Victory. Victory, why? It's pretty easy. Peace, yeah. It's hard work. It's hard work what they do. I don't know exactly what kind of fighting these angels were doing, but they're pretty stoked to declare victory and peace. They're pretty stoked to to declare that it's over. And they do it with a birth announcement. It's just crazy uh, the way that this sets up. It's so interesting. And and they are stoked. They're singing together. They're chanting together. I don't know exactly the expression of it, but it's quite celebratory. Obviously, see if you agree with me here, their lives have just been changed somehow and they know it. Do you think that's true? The bunch of heavenly soldiers show up and say, our life just got changed. We are super happy about it. Check this thing out. It's going to work for you too. I don't know what their drama is. I don't know what their story is. I don't know what the arc of their narrative has been through the eons. But they're pretty stoked about this event. And I'm looking forward to hanging out with some of them later on in that age that Isaiah prophesied about and just getting their take on events. But... It's very interesting. They burst into our dimension and they're like, this is awesome. Celebration. How would we celebrate? Are you guys good celebrators? Who's a good celebrator? Yeah, all right, Steve, stand up and celebrate. You're gonna do five seconds of, of pure angelic host style <laughs> celebrating, all right? So, uh, you got to turn and face them, not me. Right. Something like that was sort of the mood of, of the evening. Silent night, holy night. I'm not so sure. I think it was more like that. Uh, in any case, the, you know, the character of the event is, is given. The angels say, this VIP was born. Uh, it changes absolutely everything on earth for everyone is, is their message. Uh, it's going to change things for Israel uh, for sure because it's their promised Messiah. But the angels say, oh no, this, this is everyone for all people, for every, every group, all ethne uh, and all on whom... God's favor rests. That word "favor" is another interesting one in the original language. Eudokia, I believe, is is the Greek, uh, and, and literally it means something like passion or or, or will. You know, the, uh, I, they often translate it uh, "favor." Um, it's a but it has a, a connotation of desire as well, yearning. You know, um, it's a passionate uh, story. From the angels' perspective, obviously, uh, the story of the universe is unfolding. They're, they're watching it. They've gotten to an exciting part of the story. Now, the humans in the story have no idea what's going on, but the angels have been reading it better, uh, and they are totally stoked, and so they feel like they need to clue the humans in. Um, If there is a story unfolding to the universe, right? If these cosmic angelic beings are following things and they see a story, you know, what does that tell you? Something that has a beginning, a middle, development, it's leading to an end. Uh, A story means that there's an author. A story has purposes, right? It means meaning. That meaning is unfolding for them. And I don't even understand totally what it means for them. But clearly for us as well. And that's what they want us to get clued in on. This is not a random universe. Things are going on here. You might miss them. But they are huge. This is meaningful. This is meaningful. What's happening in this world is meaningful. What's happening in your lives, shepherds, And of course, no coincidence, they went to the lowest-ranking members of society they could. It's like, for you guys, things just got really meaningful. You're headed somewhere better. Stories all have purposes and and progressions. Uh, The universe itself evidently has some meaning. It has an author. This is great for us because it means that we have meaning in our lives as well. We just have to get clued in on it. We have a trajectory. You're headed somewhere good. You're headed somewhere good. Don't screw it up. It's a basic way to put the message. You're headed somewhere really good. Turn to somebody and say, oh, no, you're headed somewhere great. And I think most people show up to church for the first time because they're wondering if that's true. They're wondering if the story of their lives actually have some meaning. If if their life actually has an author, someone who's sort of guiding the progression of events. And our testimony to those seekers is always, oh, yeah, you're headed somewhere great. Cooperate. Get in on it. Get in on it. And one way you can get in on it is by, you know, celebrating. Celebrating that the story of things is as cool as it is. If you think you're headed somewhere great, if you think the human story is headed somewhere great, how does it affect you today? You get a woo out of it. Yeah, yeah. You might get what else out of it? A chihu? I love it when you all get technical. Maybe, maybe, maybe some, what does it say, peace? You know, and maybe some joy if you're reading the story correctly. Here's the thing, it's hard to read your story correctly in life because your story involves challenges and setbacks and a lot of frictions and stuff like that. It's hard to read your story correctly. So when a momentous event happens, you have to celebrate it to anchor yourself in the reality of what's going on. And I think that was sort of the angel's job on that night. It's like, look, a momentous event just happened. It involves, you know, uh, a used towel and a dog dish and one squealy little baby, so you might miss it, but you need to celebrate this. You guys need to celebrate this, or you might miss the fact that your story is progressing in a good direction. And Christmas has been reminding us to do that ever since. You know, we celebrate Christmas to tell ourselves that, oh, this thing is progressing nicely. This. Things are going in an interesting uh, direction. Um, like many of you this week, uh, I spent a portion of my week uh, listening to uh, uh, online recorded lectures by theoretical physicists. A lot of experimental physicists as well, because if I don't get my weekly dose of geekiness, I just don't feel right. You know, who's with me? All the scientists. Um, and and I got a little edgy this week, Um, I was listening to, uh, well I started out my week listening to uh, uh, lectures and and reading some research papers about an old experiment starting in the 70s, progressed through the 80s where the US government, NASA, the Department of of Defense used to pay for research in psychic abilities you guys know about this? Uh, and and, uh, the people who did the research, the scientists who led the research team from the Stanford Research Institute they were actually physicists Uh, The head guy was a laser physicist, of all things. Uh, And what they did is that they gathered some people together and they they just did psychic experiments. They would play hide-and-seek in a large scale. They would send somebody out into the region of Northern California and then they would interview their psychics and say, describe the place where they were hiding. And they started getting some eerily accurate results. And they started quantifying them, and they discovered that people who were asked to do these crazy hide-and-seek predictions with practice actually got better through time. And by the end of the experiments, when the government finally pulled the plug, they produced uh, an experimental positive effect greater than that um, of, uh, one analogy the scientists used, greater than that of aspirin-preventing heart events. How many of you middle aged elderly people take aspirin or some sort of blood thinner, right? So the studies on that show less positive effects than the studies on psychic abilities by these physicists 20, 30 years ago. By a factor of 10, psychic abilities, 10 times more effective than a dose of baby aspirin. I don't know if that means anything to you. Then I started researching other uh, related... Uh, matters from physics you didn't know you're going to get a physics lecture today angels coming physics it all wraps together in the message of christmas um uh, i started uh reading again and listening to some lectures that i hadn't listened to on the observer effect in physics in quantum mechanics now i'm getting some nods yeah in quantum mechanics uh, scientists have discovered to put it really simply, that watching an experiment affects the outcome of the experiment. So you're just, you're watching some atomic particles interacting together, uh, and whether or not you watch closely determines what happens to the particles. And that's been a well, yeah, this is a decades long experiment and it's very, very well established. So what scientists have done more recently is that they've put observers in front of subatomic uh, particles colliding, human observers, and then told the observers not just to observe, but to influence with their minds what happens. And they've discovered very strong effect. That when you, you know that experiment, some of you will, 5% of you will know experiment. The double slit experiment where it has to do with light beams, and sometimes light behaves like a particle, sometimes it, it behaves like a wave, like just sort of a wave of energy. Sometimes it's a grain of sand, sometimes it's just a breeze, just to put it in human terms. And I'm, I'm being really, really simplistic about how I'm describing this, of course. I'm not smart enough to understand everything about it, but um, if you observe the experiment, it has been shown, that you influence whether light behaves as a particle or as a wave. So they started training people to observe the experiment and to want particles. And when they've trained these people, it turns out that they can turn light into particles instead of waves. And then when they train people to turn light into waves instead of particles, they get that effect. And some people they've discovered are very contrarian, that if they train them to turn light into particles, then they turn it into waves at a statistically implausible rate. Right, and this has to do with breaking down the wave function for those of you who have actually studied physics. Does that freak you out? At the subatomic le- level, what you want to see influences the substance of the universe. And there are lots of other experiments like this. And so, really cutting-edge, theoretical physicists are now talking about whether or not the universe has a mind. Serious, serious guys are now looking at this. And they're statistically quantifying the effect of the behavior of particles of the human consciousness. It's all very matrix-y. Why am I talking about this ridiculous stuff? The stuff that has nothing to do uh, with faith. Here's what I'm saying. Christmas is a great time to deeply consider that there's a lot more going on with the universe than cynical people might think. And we have loads of evidence to support that thought. Whether you're talking about crazy prophecies from 600 years before Christ that predict historical events with breathtaking accuracy. Unlikely events to boot. Or angelic beings from whatever dimension they live in coming to report great joyful things are unfolding on the planet. Or experimental physicists who produce evidence of seemingly spiritual things in the physical universe. Wherever you go, what we're discovering in the human story is that things are a lot more miraculous and wondrous than cynics might think. And it's all very humbling. And I, for one, find it very freeing. How about you? We're just not as smart as we think we are. And that's kind of good news. You know, we're a little more limited in our perceptions than perhaps we should be. And I find that good news, you know why? Because I'm not a naturally happy person. And I need good news. I need tidings of joy. And you know what else I need? I need the ability to celebrate them, or else I'm going to lose track. I just lose track. I'm just too human, you know, and so even I, yay, even I need to celebrate. I need to put on a stupid hat on occasion. I did it once, don't ask. I got to take it easy. I got I to gotta figure out what, what, you know, my response is going to be, you know, whether I need to stand up and pump my fists and scream or get together with my soldier buddies and And clue somebody in, or just just share the news, uh, which is a great Christmas uh, tradition. So what to do? What to do? What's the takeaway point from these musings on the Christmas story and theoretical physics? Uh, uh, I I would just say this. Look, if, if there's a message of joy that informs our understanding of the nature of life, the universe, and everything, and if we have that message of joy, then even if we can't be sunny all the time, we at the very least, I think, need to celebrate right now. And my question for you is, what are you going to do to celebrate Christmas? I mean, really, really. What are you gonna do to celebrate Christmas? And and everything that it means. What are you gonna do to celebrate hope and joy and eternal peace? Because that's kind of a deal, eternal peace. It's kind of a big deal. Is there a bigger deal? Eternity, no death or decay, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a showstopper right there. That changes everything for all people. And the message that we're sharing is nothing less than that message. It's a nuclear bomb of goodness that changes everything in the universe for all time. And I think that's worth a high five. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm going to do because I'm really bad at communicating joy um, is uh, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit come and do it this morning. I'm just going to pray that the, co- the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon you uh, and, and I don't know, maybe imparts a, a bit of a spirit of celebration uh, however is appropriate to you. If I tried to pull off what Steve just did, uh, I think I'd probably pull several muscles um, but but i don't know what is celebration for you that's a great meditation whatever it is man you got to do it you got to do it you got to do it or honestly you might be lost you got to do it or honestly you might you might miss it you might miss it this is really good stuff but we all know we all know that the cynicism of the world will try to strip it away i mean this is this is good good stuff. But you know what? How you observe it affects how it happens. The spirit that you bring to it affects the substance of it that it has in your life and in the world around you. That's how powerful you are. The very fabric of the universe responds to your expectations, to your hope and faith and joy. Subatomic particles just collided. That's the message. That's the message. So, Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that you would come and, uh, in a spiritual way, impart the reality of the Christmas message. This thing is progressing. God is doing it in enormously creative, mysterious ways, and it is not to be missed. It might not be entirely understood, but it is not to be missed. And Father God, your children at Blue Water Mission will not miss it. We will catch it, and we will declare it in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, and impart uh, whatever you need to impart to each individual here. Uh, Spirit of celebration, hope, faith, joy, peace, whatever it is. And I bless you, brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name, uh, to receive it, to receive it this morning. Do your work, Lord.